You're listening to the Forum on Workplace Inclusion podcast. The 2021 Forum on Workplace Inclusion call for proposals is now open. The call for proposals, or CFP for short, is the process we use to collect presentations to be considered for our program year, including our annual conference. This year's conference is called Workplace Revolution, from talk to collective action. The deadline to submit a proposal is July 27, 2020. For more information, visit forumworkplaceinclusion.org slash CFP. We get to engage people, advance ideas, and ignite change because of the generous support from our community. If you find our resources meaningful or valuable, please consider supporting the forum today. Visit forumworkplaceinclusion.org slash donate. That's forumworkplaceinclusion.org slash donate. Thank you very much for your support and generosity. With that, I'd like to say thank you to all our listeners and subscribers. You help support the growth of the podcast and reach new listeners. If you like what you're hearing on the Forum Podcast, please consider writing a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you've already written a review, thank you. Please consider sharing our podcast with a friend, family member, or a colleague you think might find value in the content. Word of mouth is the best way the Forum grows, so thank you very much for listening and sharing. Thanks again, and enjoy the show. Hello, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast, Inclusive Event Design, The Differences That Make a Difference, with Ryan Craning of Events by Lady K. I'm Ben Rue, Program Coordinator here at the Forum on Workplace Inclusion. We all move through the world using our experiences to guide us, which are heavily informed by our identities. So when we plan an event, like the many that we plan here through the Forum, we often rely on things that we would like. But what about planning events for people who aren't just like me? We don't know how to meet their needs or support their experiences as best we can unless we ask. From the space to food and beverage, registration and event navigation to speakers, programming and decor, every aspect of planning impacts how participants experience and engage with your event. Whether a conference, a workshop, a board retreat or a family celebration, there are ways to structure the event where every participant can feel welcomed, celebrated and included. But why does this matter? What can we do for ourselves and our organizations to support this work? And how do we begin making it happen? In this podcast, Ryan will answer those questions as well as describe the philosophy behind creating inclusive and equitable events and why it is important. Delve into several examples of these big picture concepts and how they apply to real life scenarios and provide several how-to processes to implement in the next event participants may be planning for themselves, whether virtual, in-person, or hybrid. Ryan Craning, he, him, and they, them pronouns, is the founder of and president of Events by Lady K, a general benefit LGBTQ-owned company based here in Minneapolis. Events by Lady K partners with mission-driven clients to create mission-centered events where every participant feels welcome, celebrated, and included. Their goal is to change the world of hospitality, meetings, and events to be truly equitable and inclusive instead of maintaining a status quo that doesn't work for everyone. Ryan has more than 15 years of experience planning events across the country, and their team has had the honor of partnering with clients spanning philanthropy, nonprofits, universities, and social enterprise. Well, first off, thank you so much for being here. We're so excited to have you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to have a conversation with you today. Yeah, I mean, you know, many, many people might not know this, but, you know, as an organization, the forum does predominantly events, a lot, quite a few of them, either, you know, the in-person conference or the virtual one. So it's really great to be able to talk about how to make 
how to create inclusive events that make every that makes everyone feel welcome. Um, so to get like you know to get it started, can we uh, to kick it off? Can you tell our listeners more about what you mean when you say you create events where every attendee feels welcomed, celebrated, and included? Absolutely. So it's it's a guiding philosophy we use because we know that to have your attendees feel connected to your content, connected to your event and get the most out of it, they should feel those things, right? Like welcome, celebrated and included in every aspect of an event. And so the philosophy of it really uh, uses a, a idea called universal design. It's, come, it's a principle that comes out of the architecture world actually, which where you center the most marginalized folks at the core of a process and build something out from there. So an example in that world would be a, a, a ramp for folks who are in wheelchairs to be able to enter or exit a building. But it also benefits a lot of other folks, parents with strollers, folks who have um, those roller wheelie bags, right? Folks with carts and bringing things in and out of a building. Um, and folks who for whom they've, they use a cane or just stairs are hard, right? Like it, it benefits everyone. And so we do that in every aspect of a planning process. So we look at it um, in, in the timeline, in the venue, in vendor selection, and how we can really center those who are going to have the most potential difficulty engaging with, again, content attendees or the event itself in some way, shape or form, and how they can get there. And the, the way that we think about it is using the platinum rule. So a lot of, of us have heard the golden rule, right? Of, of treat others as you want to be treated. Um, and we flip that around and, the, and use the platinum rule, which says treat others as they want to be treated. So it doesn't use my own experiences, um, values, ideas of like what a good event means or what something that is engaging means. It, it's about asking people what they need to be able to engage. So, um, and that's where we talk about like authentic engagement and the differences that make a difference, right? So we know that folks who have, who are of different races experience things differently because of the way we move about the world and the way that racism in particular influences things, right? We know that sexism and misogyny are, are massive things in how folks who are femme and women identified and trans move about the world. We know that there is discrimination through ability in a lot of different places um, especially in person, but also in digital events, right? So it's like, we, we need to know who our attendees are to treat them as they want to be treated. And then once you have in, implemented asking and, and getting those responses back, you kind of start to establish a new baseline for, for uh, how to respond proactively and as well as still asking folks what they need on an individual level. So taking that big picture set of values, will you help spin those into practical application for everyone? How do these actually take shape while planning an event? Absolutely. So again, it's about uh, the, the intentional process. And it, it takes a little bit more time to be, to be intentional, to be inclusive. You have to build in time for reflection and really asking every, every step along the way, uh, every moment in the process, um, asking, like, who are we leaving out? What are, we, what are we not factoring in? And then also including time to build in t response time for the questions you're asking. So for us, it all starts with the, 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 what are the goals of the event, right? So what are, what are the objectives you want out of something? Is it uh, 
a conference format where it's going to be a lot of information sharing and networking? Is it a fundraiser? So the emphasis is on community building and raising money. Um, is it a, a retreat? So you want it to be comfortable because you're going to be in a room or seated for long periods of time. And, and finding all of the right pieces that make that puzzle come together, right? So it's looking at um, a larger venue. So one of the things in a space, right, is the ability for people to move around. And so making sure that folks, you have wide enough aisles um, and space between tables, if it is more of a conference or fundraisers atmosphere, that people can navigate. So again, using the idea of universal design, how, who are the people that will need to navigate the room? Well, everyone, because you've all got to find your seat. Um, but for folks, um, the, the baseline tends to be for ADA accessibility, right? For folks in wheelchairs, folks who use canes, um, but also for folks like myself, I'm in a larger body, right? And navigating, squeezing in between tables is not a feeling that makes me feel welcome, celebrated, or included, right? Um, I, there are times where I was like, cool, I will actually just like maybe hang out in the back of the room. Um, and not have to navigate that. Um, so again, folks with strollers, folks with roller bags to help carry supplies around with them. Um, everyone benefits from wider aisles. And in this time of, of COVID-19, and as we look at the future of events, um, it's going to be even more necessary. And I think that's a, a benefit for everyone. Um, that's one specific example to think about as it will continue to benefit for everyone. Um, another really practical application idea is um, having all gender restrooms available, right? We know that uh, for the, the all gender restroom discussion has largely been centered around trans folks. And it's actually one of the easiest things to do to put anyone at ease, right? Like how many people have a men's and a women's restroom at home? Probably very few people, right? And so it's the idea of like, if it's good enough at home, it can be good enough in public with the correct um, safety and sanitation uh, processes in place, right? So if, um, ideally a venue would have at least one, like hopefully multiple, um, single stall, all gender lockable restrooms, right? And they work with, for folks who are trans and gender non-conforming, who like don't feel safe in a traditional sex segregated bathroom. Um, for folks who are um, a caregiver with an elderly patient parent or for a parent with a child, like having a changing space, having a, a restroom where you can take them in and not have to worry about privacy for other folks in the bathroom. Um, it works for folks who have disabilities and to navigate, um, not having to navigate stalls um, that are very confining. Uh, and again, for folks with larger bodies, for folks with other medical needs who need to in inject um, insulin or another drug or change a bandage or something else, the amount of privacy that a single stall restroom can can lend is immense. Um, I think another one is that if you don't have one that's built in, you can convert a traditional restroom in terms of changing signage, putting waste baskets in every stall. Um, and it also helps reduce lines at uh, those breaks, right? That we know that at events when it's like, everyone bathroom yeah. break, stretch, go, right? The, the line tends to be at the women's room and it's actually like an inequality issue to make one group of people stand in line longer for a bathroom than other people. So um, there are a whole list of other things to make that feel more private or comfortable for folks who aren't used to it. There's also easy things to include in terms of language ahead of the time for folks to, to sort of give a heads up and be like, hey, this is gonna happen. Have some educational information on the bathroom mirrors about why 
your organization is choosing to do this to increase access and comfort for everyone. Um, and it, it makes for a, a much smoother event. Another example is around catering. Um, and for, right, hangry, hangry guests, <laughs> hunger and anger <laughs> don't make um, happy attendees. And so I think this is another one where um, a providing sort of a, a new baseline of, of food for folks if you're gathering them over a mealtime, uh, thinking through what is gluten-free, what is vegetarian, what is vegan, um, what other kind of main allergies are you going to have um, in, in regard to um, holiday observances, right? Like if it's happening during Ramadan, are you having to-go containers if you're at events at night? Um, are you trying to avoid uh, food during mealtimes? Um, if you're going to have a lot of folks who are, who are Muslim and observing that to, to have it in the middle of the afternoon, right? And, and then don't have to have food. So thinking of, of those kind of um, ideas. And then teams and training, right? How are, your, how are your staff, how are your volunteers, how are your greeters um, informed and, and able to meet the needs of folks who are coming in um, with whatever questions they've got? Who are they? Um, we always, we don't want to tokenize anyone and we know that having people feel seen and reflected in the event itself in increases their, uh, excitement and, and feeling like they belong, right? In terms of, again, racial diversity, uh, gender diversity, sexual orientation diversity, ability diversity, like having, having a plethora of identities present, um, again, makes the, the plethora of identities who are coming as attendees feel like they belong. Um, how do you know all of that in terms of the things? Like that's again why how we call it kind of our new our new baseline, um, and it just starts with asking. So in our registration process, we've had a, a four to five page PDF form of questions, which may feel really long, and some of, sometimes it is. Sometimes for the event, you have some really specific questions to ask, but it, it starts with, you know, what pronouns would you like to use, and then we're going to try to use them on your name badge so that folks can, we have the value of, again, having folks feel welcome, celebrated, and included, includes being referred to by the pronouns they want to use in the world, right? So having that um, on your name tag, having um, the opportunity to say, hey, I actually need a um, really specific diet because of an allergy that I have, um, and being able to work with them and understand those details and then work with the caterer to ensure that's provided, right? asking about access needs. Do they, do they have a wheelchair and do they need um, uh, space at a, a table that doesn't have some chairs in it? Do they have uh, an, a seen eye dog um, who may need some accommodation? Do they have um, a need for language translation, whether that's ASL uh, or from a non-English language and sort of simultaneous translation? And the list goes on and on, but it's, it's those things of you have to ask to understand what they need uh, to best meet their needs to fully participate. So, um, yeah, it can be a lot, but it's, it's very doable also. Thank you. Speaking of lists, do you have a checklist you could share with our audience to assist them in their planning processes? I'm, you mentioned a couple just now, but do you, is there, um, are there more things that people should be checking out, making sure that they are checking off their list when playing an event? That this is one of the biggest questions we get. And, we don't have a checklist per se because it is so interconnected, right? And I think the, the easiest quote unquote checklist is in registration. Um, 
and that's kind of where it can start of asking folks if they what they need again um, and then using everything that you ask about on registration as your checklist of are we making sure that this need is met or that we know how to meet this need um, it because it's all interconnected right like if someone's like oh I, I do need a wheelchair and um, you but you've already almost sold out the room at the maximum capacity of the room you're in say for instance your events 300 people um, and your ballroom is is you know allocated to seat about 350 but between your stage and your buffet and everything else like you're going to be pretty crammed in there wall to wall but when i say interconnected it's about backing it up so if you're going to have if your goal is 300 attendees maybe shoot for the uh, aim for the 500 person um ballroom and space mm. instead of the the you know closest and that way you can accommodate larger aisles um, or have several, um, you know, canyons of sorts um, in between chunks of tables that might be closer together, but allowing easier access through corridors of the room um, really can can back out the rest of the process, right? And then you also have more room for the interpreters to be near the front of the stage for folks who need ESL. ASL. And for folks who need simultaneous language translation, they can uh, be seated near their interpreter or for folks who need the closed captioning bar at the front of a room, we can reserve seating uh, in accordance. So it's, it is one of those interconnected pieces. Um, similar with catering, if you know that you're going to have an event and your, your organization itself or a partner you're working with um, has a really environmental uh, uh, focus and so you're, you're wanting something that is highly vegetarian or vegan because we know that meat while delicious for those of us that can eat it is also has a, a big impact on the environment um, that's going to come down to your caterer and we know that at least in the Twin Cities Minneapolis St. Paul area where we are a lot of the venues have exclusive catering uh, contracts um, or a, a list of preferred vendors and so knowing who the vendor options are to produce a really high quality vegetarian or vegan meals is also going to then impact where you could have the event, right? Um, and then if your organization has a, 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 call it a values clause, it's just kind of our preferred method of working with vendors who align uh, with us on values, right? Who are also LGBTQ owned, women owned, um, black indigenous people of color owned businesses. We like to support our community and because that's how our business thrives and, and survives. So being able to use those vendors in certain spaces um, can also impact which venue you can book from the start. So again, having um, all of it, it's all interconnected. I'm working on a checklist for it. Um, we're working on something called the Welcome Celebrated and Included Institute. which will be uh, like an online training course for more uh, coaching and, and some in-depth analysis around kind of each of these categories I'm talking about. So if you're interested, you can shoot me an email. I don't, want this, I don't want it to be a sales pitchy, but it's very much like there is, there is no simple checklist in the way there's no simple checklist to eliminating racism, uh, right? Because it is interconnected and, and we, we come at it from our vantage standpoint. So we've got to start understanding other standpoints um, and it just takes time and asking. Well, yeah, definitely. I mean, we'd definitely be interested in, you know, sharing that resource when it's available. Like I said, you know, the forum is, is an educational organization, but we are, we educate through our events. So we naturally want our events to be 
as inclusive and welcoming and for everybody, where everybody feels welcome and celebrated. Um, but, you know, it, we are both, you mentioned we're in Minneapolis and we're both recording from our homes because, you know, there's a pandemic going on. <laughs> this <laughs> little thing, this little thing called COVID-19. Um, and in this time of COVID-19 with events going virtual, even the forum conference uh, for 2021 will be completely virtual um, or becoming smaller. What are some things you think planners should keep in mind for making their events equitable and inclusive? I, you know, it, it's it's going to keep changing. So I think, right, we're recording this uh, end, of, end of June, early July. And I think the safety standards um, and what will be possible will continue to change. So I think first and foremost, as with any event, you want to, to make people feel welcome, celebrated, and included. There has to be a semblance of, of safety, right? And um, especially in a time where uh, a germ awareness and and spreading something that we're still not sure how it spreads um, concretely or how to protect, prevent yourself, um, I think that's number one. Uh, with that, as we look at sort of um, the new normal of in-person events, I'll start there and sort of go, go to the virtual realm of things. But I think... The, as I mentioned before, the aisles and increased space between tables, I think is actually an exciting opportunity for folks to be like, oh, look at this elbow room, look at this space to navigate an event. How wonderful is this, right? Um, I think that it's also going to benefit, again, for folks with mobility, for folks with larger bodies. It's also going to benefit folks who suffer from PTSD and who have like a, a sensory to noise and volume in one space, right? Like in a room, if we're limited to a percentage of the capacity, it's going to just create a like a, a more calm atmosphere for everyone. Um, I think that there are, um, and similarly around uh, crowd size and, and anxiety that can come from that, I think that's uh, an exciting opportunity. I think that with um, uh, in-person events, there's an opportunity to increase environmental awareness and waste. The event industry generally, unfortunately, tends to produce a lot of one-time things. And so whether it's signage and we go more virtual or reusable formats that can have kind of a templated, um, uh, something that can be removed and be used for another event later in the future. Uh, I think for food, um, sadly, the buffet is going to go away, I think, uh, for, for a time. And that's a really great way to have been able to build a, a menu that could work for everyone because you get to build your own options, right? And so I think with the, with the amount of food that will be prepackaged, um, having it be in a compostable container um, with, if it's not going to be silverware, having that the flatware be compostable so that we're not increasing the waste even more than what we do uh, in the industry. And I think that the ways that virtual programming can add to in-person events is going to be an opportunity for all of us to learn more about. I know that we've been learning a ton, um, sort of in addition to the live streaming opportunities we knew existed before, but thinking about, I think the future of events is going to be a lot of hybrid events, right? Where there may be a small group uh, in person, uh, socially distanced or based on capacity, and then having sort of those add-on concurrent live uh, digital digital broadcast, digital engagement opportunities. So as you're looking at, a, you know, a, a ballroom plenary, having that broadcast, but then having a facilitated online discussion, if you're doing table discussions in the room, 
or when when the people in in uh, a conference physically are in breakout rooms having online uh, breakout rooms things like that i think will be really interesting to think about which then get to include the folks that we our live event industry hasn't always been great about thinking right the folks who have um who've always had compromised immune systems and large you know around large groups of people um has been uh nervous or scary and a, det a detriment to the health. Again, folks who are um, disabled in a lot of different ways uh, in getting to an event um, or participating fully because of navigating a room or hearing or, or knowing that like uh, a, if, it, if it's not going to be a predominantly disabled crowd of having others uh, engaging through interpreter can be a barrier for some folks where it's like, it's just gonna be exhausting. I'm not gonna go um, or I'm sure. They haven't confirmed they're gonna have an interpreter. So if I can't, um, participate. I don't want to risk it, right? I think from the the cost factor of travel and accommodation, um, time off of work to fully participate, it's a way to engage folks um, remotely. And then I, you know, depending on how uh, schools continue to reopen and and childcare centers reopening, um, parents uh, continue to have to take care of children and to work and to, you know, ideally attend our events. And so we know that that's not always going to be possible, um, depending on the scenario or location that they're in. So, um, and we know, again, that lots of folks couldn't, you know, if they can't get across town to get, pick up a child or if they're single parenting and don't have um, a family or friend network to rely on, that has el eliminated a lot of folks from attending events if you don't provide childcare. Um, which it's hard to do from unfortunately a, a liability and safety perspective so who are we excluding and now they'll hopefully be able to participate uh, virtually i think in the virtual inclusion and access um, some of our kind of new um, new standards around engagement are having things closed captioned uh, we know that it's while while zoom uh, feels very familiar to many of us i think those of us who are especially millennials as i know we both are Right, assume a level of, of um, tech familiarity that isn't always there. Um, so how to log in, uh, how to change your name on the screen to include your pronouns, um, if you're, especially if we're gonna be having a discussion. Um, again, closed captioning just makes it work for everyone because even if you don't need it, say, quote unquote, um, it can help because we're all learning how to speak more slowly on the computer and lag times with technology um, can be there and, and closed captioning can help us be like, ooh, what did they say? What was the beginning of that brilliant quote that Ben had? Uh, I wanted to make sure I got it. Um, uh, you know, having ASL, um, having a, a, a window open for that for folks who need, need interpretation, um, having a transcript um, uh, along with the closed caption if there is a video later. All of these can be really uh, great ways to in increase um, virtual access. I think having strong facilitators on uh, virtual discussions is really, really important. It can feel overly programmed sometimes, but it, it can, anytime you're like, let's unmute and have everyone say a thing, it just turns into this cacophony of noise. And I think you know, having someone who's, whose role is to be like, hey, I'm gonna go around my screen or, um, if you've got questions, raise your hand and just being aware because there can be so much coming at you from so many directions between the chat box or raise hand function or people physically raising their hand in their video screen. Um, lots of ways to think about who 
who's engaging. I think the time of day when a, a, a webinar or call is held to try to avoid prayer times or meal times, um, prayer times for folks of um, Muslim faith and for you know avoiding general lunchtime for folks in your time zone. If it's spread out, it's a little harder to do that across the country or across the world for virtual things. Um, and again, still asking, having folks sign up for your event and, and asking like, do you need closed captioning? Do you need a translator? Um, do you need slides sent in advance so your screen reader has a chance to um, uh, translate what's on the uh, slide, right? Things like that. Uh, if you were using slides, being sure to read off the content on there is always great. Um, again, just for folks who, if they don't have the ability to see, but also those of us who are likely multitasking while we're doing lots of things while trying to get the engagement. Um, and then lastly is around the time frame. You're asking folks to sit. Uh, when we work with clients in for in-person events, we use the, the theater rule, right, which is trying to give folks a break um, after 75 to 90 minutes and not having them seated or in place for longer than that. And so thinking about the same thing, it can feel easy to do longer periods of time because we're on the computer, but we all still physically um, need to stretch, need to take a bathroom break, need to get more water, um, need just a break for our uh, attention spans um, to fully be able to soak up uh, what what's happening, whether it's a whether it's a social moment, whether it's a um, uh, really great content and learning. So having those opportunities um, spread out. So instead of a day long conference, it might be several afternoons um, for for two hours or something like that with a small break or some discussion ending times. Um, so thinking through kind of the new formats, I think is important in terms of getting the most out of, of, of your online event. Yeah, and, and for example, we just put out our call for proposals on fr last Friday, um, and most, if anyone who's already looked at it will notice, our, we've gotten rid of our three-hour um, seminars and replaced them with the longest being a 75-minute virtual session. Since everything is virtual, um, yeah, we found that 75 minutes is really the max that we, we you know, we want people to be well that people want to sit in a virtual you know or virtual meeting or conference um but um but th so thank you for that that was you know great minds thinking alike yeah, <laughs> well done <laughs> and i'm not um, the first one to have thought of a lot of this i've been reading a lot of other great event industry folks so i'm, I'm happy to i'm excited to be the ambassador of information with you today so boiling it down, if you had to distill everything down to one takeaway for folks listening today, what would that be? It would be, you don't know if you don't ask. Um, and when you ask to do something about it, um, I, again, treating folks as they want to be treated is, is, has never been more important. Um, if you know we're in this sort of heightened awareness around diversity equity and inclusion specifically around race um, and for folks um, being supported and seen and celebrated as their whole selves is the best way to foster community um, and to really create the long-term change that many organizations and businesses want in the world right in terms of more equitable systems and especially uh folks who i'm i'm assuming a level of shared interest on this if you're tuning into the forum on workplace inclusions podcast right whether it's, whether it's right exactly so whether it's whether it's within your organization as a company as a as a university as an institution or sort of a, a across cohorts I, again these principles i think apply in terms of 
asking folks what they need. And it's important to, I think, re-ask for, you know, if you've been gathering your staff team for a long time um, in person or online, you know, putting out a, a thing like, is there something we can do to make this um, better for you? Is there a way to make it more engaging or more accessible? Um, folks know the know that what they need, right? If it is having shorter sessions, so folks can can um, move around and stretch. If it's having some options for folks to stand in the back of a room, because it's it's painful to sit for a long period of time, and they can more fully participate. Like that's great. Um, folks um, have have needs that change all the time, right? Folks who um, give birth and then need to um, have a, a feeding room or have a place to pump. Um, folks who have surgery and then they can't stand for a long time or need to sit for a long time or somewhere in between, uh, right? As I've gotten older, my um, allergies and dietary needs have changed time and time again. So I think it can be important to just re recheck in. So the the one takeaway is is ask. Um, I think it's if you ask um, what folks need, they'll tell you and then you can make it happen. Thank you so much, Ryan, for that fabulous interview and all that wonderful information. If you'd like to learn more about inclusive event design or events by Lady K, feel free to contact Ryan directly at ryan at eventsbyladyk.com or visit their website, eventsbyladyk.com, or follow them on Facebook, Instagram, or, or Twitter, all at, at eventsbyladyk. Thank you again for uh, listening and for joining us. Uh, visit our website, Forum Workplace Inclusion org for podcast forward slash podcasts to listen to more episodes you can also find us on apple podcasts spotify stitcher and anchor thank you again for listening have a great day thank you again for listening to the forum and workplace inclusion podcast don't forget to subscribe to our podcast to get updates in the latest episodes also tell us what you think by reviewing our podcast we'd love to hear your feedback for more information, visit us at forumworkplaceinclusion.org or search Workplace Forum on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Thank you very much and have a great day. The Forum on Workplace Inclusion podcast is recorded at Augsburg University in Minneapolis, Minnesota. One of the most diverse private colleges in the Midwest, Augsburg University offers more than 50 undergraduate majors and nine graduate degrees to 3,400 students of diverse backgrounds at its campus in the vibrant center of the Twin Cities and nearby Rochester, Minnesota location. Augsburg educates students to be informed citizens, thoughtful stewards, critical thinkers, and responsible leaders. And Augsburg education is defined by excellence in the liberal arts and professional studies, guided by the faith and values of the Lutheran Church, and shaped by its urban and global settings. Learn more at augsburg.edu.